The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Hello, everyone. We'll start in a few moments. We'll just give it time for everyone to join. So, welcome to Health Tourism Phoenix, Markets Rising from Pandemic Ashes. My name is Romilly Douglas and I will be your moderator. I'm pleased to introduce today's speakers, Irving Stackpole and Laszlo Putzko. Irving is the president of Stackpole & Associates, a strategy, marketing and research firm founded in 1991. Irvine is a mentor for the European Institute for Innovation in Health, an EU program to stimulate healthcare entrepreneurship. He edited Medical Tourism Marketing, the first book on the subject, and is the co-author of the Marketing Handbook in Health Tourism. Laszlo graduated as an economist specializing in tourism from Budapest University of Economics and holds a PhD on the environmental impacts of tourism from Budapest University. He is a certified management consultant and a past president of the Association of Tourism Consultants in Hungary, CEO and co-founder of Health Tourism Worldwide. Both Irving and Laszlo have with decades of experience in health, tourism, wellness. Before I hand over the mic to Laszlo, I have a few housekeeping items to cover in today's presentation. First, today's webinar is being recorded and will be made available. We'd love to hear from you from today's presentation and we'll be answering your questions at the end of the session. If you have a question for our speakers, please feel free to send it through the Ask and Question tab at the bottom of your player on the right-hand side. And if your question is for a specific speaker, please let us know. If we don't get to your question during today's webinar, we'll be sure to follow up afterwards. So without any further ado, I'd like to think, kick things off and welcome Laszlo. Thank you very much and uh, very good morning, uh, very good afternoon, very good evening, depending uh, where you are. We're always very, very happy to have you and especially that um, we're talking about such exciting topic, which is uh, being a phoenix. And I want to walk you through um, the um, ideas that we have in mind and the major topics that we kept uh, uh, for today's discussion. Uh, we certainly uh, want to refer to um, uh, the uh, handbook that we wrote together with Irving as one of the uh, key materials that we always advise uh, anybody to look into since it has all the hands-on recommendations uh, to situations uh, especially that we are uh, at the moment. Uh, this is the major, the major points uh, for today. Uh, what's next? Everybody wants to know what's next, what to do, because uh, uh, we say that the pandemic is sort of over, but uh, may not be as much over, and especially countries are, are closing down again, and you don't know what's happening in the next week. So we are looking into situations where we have people might say that there's a fear of not having any trips booked, and now there apparently there's a word for it. And uh, not surprisingly, we know from now experience, since uh, the uh, opening, closing, semi-opening, semi-closing has been going on now for several months and uh, even over a year, what kind of reaction people have when they have the chance to book, active, uh, to book trips? Um, it could be domestic, but also could be international. To have this um, uh, opening the floodgate sort of ex uh, experience when uh, suddenly a lot of people booking trips because finally they can do it and also uh, looking for um, uh, more secluded uh, locations uh, being worried more about um, the uh, hygienic uh, issues and so on so these are all very standard um, uh, situations but as of now unfortunately but uh, the question still is 
what's next? What should the industry do? And we agreed with Irving that I do more on the wellness well-being part and he will um, address all the medical uh, related issues. So when you talk about product development, communication, segmentation, and uh, what kind of properties I would look uh, into in terms of development or management or what direction should my property move? We want to give you a, a bit of the heads up based on that. Uh, we do a lot of uh, intelligence development and this was done together with the uh, Wellness Tourism Association and uh, IMTJ. And I just want to give you a little bit of an uh, insight to this and obviously that's available uh, through our web. It's just it's a complimentary download. So uh, I just want to give you a little bit of highlights. What's the difference in terms of traveling for various purposes domestically and uh, for international? And you can see that in certain markets, domestic is way more important than international, but there's a relatively good understanding all around Europe, for example, that uh, uh, traveling for abroad, to abroad uh, for wellness trips, there's something which is an important aspect and people looking into it and that people are interested in what's, what, what kind of options do I have? What kind of products can I have? I think it's, absolutely essential to highlight as we as we are in the a couple first couple of minutes that every market is very different as we see it so uh, just because uh, you're working for a project uh, or a development or company or destination management organization or national government and you see that oh well this product is popular in that market therefore i'm going to bring it in and bring it over please don't do it uh, at least do it with a pinch of salt because all these market intelligence that we have been creating uh, for the last couple of years including during the pandemic time uh, suggests that um, the markets do differ greatly and we will see that in a minute for example when you say the western european market what kind of facilities properties treatments uh, uh, segments services may be popular and expected to be popular in the next uh, let's say five years post uh, pandemic this gives you a, a rather good uh, overview of what you should be uh, aiming at in terms of development in terms of revision in terms of expansion you can see that it's uh, the the medical uh, core, uh, incorporating medical uh, aspect could be something that le leads the way forward and uh, Irving will uh, look into those a little bit. And what is the medical in that sense? Is it uh, therapies based on natural resources, moving away from wellness, but more like looking at therapies and modalities? Uh, what exactly is a medical spa or a medical hotel and a resort? How is this uh, related to the wellness part? Uh, what How workplace wellness trips going to uh, come along? Uh, are the companies ready? to create those trips for their employees? Do they have the knowledge? Do they have the expertise to do that? Uh, if not, how it is going to happen? Because this is what the industry is really expecting. Whereas if you look at, if you look at North, North America, you can see a totally different picture. Uh, you talk about non-invasive plastic surgery, which is more like changing the, the, the muscle tones and then giving you advice how to train your face muscles, for example, to look younger and to train it every day. Or we talk about spiritual and wellness-oriented festivals, which is very much a, um, a North American phenomenon, as we understand. Uh, how the eco-sponsored wellness facilities may uh, come along? What exactly do you need to do that? How the healthy co-working complexes incorporating work, life, wellness actually going to uh, be profitable and how you can change existing uh, blocks of building or blocks of offices into something like that. What's the uh, lifestyle oriented uh, retreat, which is a lovely title, but what does it do? How, who's going to define those contents and scope of services? So you can see a lot of, you know, lots of the changes, uh, like solo travelers are important, uh, not just women and uh, um, segments looking for healthy options. So we have a lot of changes taking place and the pandemic, if, you, if, if I may, uh, it has a good impact on this because people are more open 
they are interested. And this is when we need to talk to them. And this is when the travel agents and advisors need to change their approach and not just selling it as a luxury opportunity. All that said, wonderful. But look at this title. Uh, it's a kind of hospitality's largest DOF, which is wellness. Is it a good thing for us? Is it a good thing for business? Is it a good thing that everything is called wellness? Is it going to help development? How it is going to uh, impact the ones that actually are offering this? And how, they how we can separate this from those who just use it as a label? Don't forget, this, this, is, this, is, this is earlier this year, not, not that many months ago, that we have that um, a discussion going on that, that this is a bluff. Is it a bluff? Do we do enough? to actually um, set the ground and set the circumstances. So we cannot say that this is a bluff. How we can really separate those are doing this um, uh, for real from those that are using it as a label. I, I always want to highlight uh, these um, qualities and understand that there's a lot of over and under in the business a lot of over expectation, there's a lot of over development and over spending, whereas there's a lot of underperforming uh, in terms of uh, uh, financial um, performance as well as uh, guest well being. This, um, this is why we are suggesting to create uh, not a C suite, which is the you know, corporate a suite where all the, uh, all the uh, various uh, Chief, ex chief executives meet up, but having a W suite, which is a well-being suite, where equally important decisions can be made, and the C suite and the uh, W suite would need to be at the same level and talk about what exactly we're doing for the well-being of the guests. Either those who are coming for wellness purposes, or they're just coming, but we still be able to incorporate wellness improving components. This is when you need some. I would say, if you, if I may, uh, you need help. You need to have advice. You need to have uh, people who understand uh, well-being, experience engineering, how it is happening. What is the guest journey? It's not just another bluff, but how it is happening. How you can create the storyboards and the rituals. What exactly I need to do in-house, and so on and so on. Otherwise, we will be focusing on the first three and spend a lot of money on space, but not value propositioning. And I had a discussion the other day with architects, and it's a revelation to many architects when I say, I don't want to build a, a building. I want to create some value added and value propositioning to which I may need a building. And not all of them understand what you're talking about. You know, that's, that's um, in Italy, it's beautifully orchestrated, uh, suggesting what you need to do which is uh, like a throne sort of a scenario in front of uh, a facing a frame behind which there is the nature, which instantly invites guests to sit down, admire, even talk uh, to the one who, uh, who is next to them. But we all know who those who created this experience uh, understand that sitting down and giving a throne that suggests that you need to sit for longer framing or frame all this suggests there's an art that you need to be valued, you need to be looked at for a longer period of time. And we know that the end of the, uh, uh, the experience will be that the heart rate is going to decrease, the cortisol level is going to decrease, uh, and the impact of nature and spending enough time in nature, it's crucial. As you may know, in Canada, as of this year, the GPs can, can describe spending time in, uh, in nature on a prescription, which is an indication of how much we deprived of being uh, uh, exposed to nature. Um, dressing up a tree, you might say that was a lovely artwork. Yes, it's a lovely artwork, you may even like it, but the whole you know, idea is that I am creating an, a situation uh, admiration of which or getting involved in which or um, being uh, immersed in would have a great impact on the person's well-being. You don't need to be a anesthetist, you don't need to be a medical tourist, you need to be a person who could be immersed in that experience. 
but this is our job, recreating those experiences and situations. And one of the um, last examples, uh, even if you uh, started reading the Six Senses Israeli Dessert Retreat to open and uh, offering a CBD infused camel milk massages. Even if you start, if you just to put together uh, the various components of this uh, service, you start to think of camel milk ma and massage with CBD infused in its retreat in a desert. It's in Israel. It's uh, the Six Senses labeled or branded. Um, this, you know, this is it's just an example. I'm not necessarily advocating to have such a uh, unusual package or such an unusual proposition, but why not? Because then it would be local, and obviously that's uh, a fusion when you have CBD infused, um, uh, let's say, camel milk. This is again, it's an added value there. Uh, what the impact of that is, obviously, would need to be uh, checked. But I think it's it's a good indication of. Uh, directions and this is not again i need to repeat myself every single time this is not money this is understanding what well-being is understanding how i can contribute to well-being and understanding how creative and immersive i need to be so if you are doing any business development or service development i really invite you to uh, use this approach and check are you in the service business are you in the experience business or you are, are you in the transformation business? And if you ask me, this is a sequence. You can't change one day from service business to transformation business. But now when we talk about transformative travel, we are talking about responsible travel. We're talking about uh, contributing to local communities, uh, regenerative travel and all these new buzzwords. This is nothing new in marketing and strategic management. But I really invite you to revisit your services. If if not in-house, then uh, call, in an, uh, call in an expert and say that, tell me, where, are, where am I? What exactly am I doing? Uh, because all these sweet uh, w, uh, w suite uh, approaches, this is what uh, can help you. Otherwise, you may use this and have this location in your place and bang your head here because you're missing opportunities. The pandemic definitely um, made well-being as a core topic, and how we are addressing this, it certainly uh, depends on us. So a couple of uh, take-home messages before I pass it on to Irving, is that there's always another option. There are always other options. Look for alternatives. Don't just talk to someone because a person is a hotel advisor and you want to have a hotel or a spa advisor. You need to find the most suitable approach to yourself and also make uh, makes difference what you wish to charge customers for yes at the end of the day they pay for uh, uh, they pay the check they pay the bill but what exactly is it they're paying for and it's really something that you need uh, uh, need to revisit and the wellnessification which starts from uh, some very basic steps down to uh, a full wellness uh, oriented travel or service or package there's a long way to go and this is the time to visit it. This is the time to uh, check where, where, what you have been doing and how you can incorporate this wellnessified approach of anything. It could be a travel management, a hospital, can be a clinic, can be a hotel, can be a resort, can be an airline, whatever that is, because there are ways to do it. But sometimes you need a little bit of nudge to achieve that. So thank you very much for the, uh, the first half of the presentation and I pass it on to Irving. Thank you, Laszlo. Uh, enlightening as always, and um, I hope you can all hear me and see my screen. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I feel that the question Laszlo just asked, uh, which gets right to the heart of designing uh, consumer experiences and consumer services, what is the customer paying for? So uh, that will come up again when I review the service lines that seem to be uh, returning to life um, like a, a phoenix rising from the ashes. But the question is, what can we expect? Um, 
business managers and executives, uh, destination management organizations, these uh, individuals and these organizations have a responsibility to try to anticipate uh, what's coming next. And that's uh, what Laszlo and I talk about often and what we uh, consult with our clients about and what we're attempting to share with you. And sometimes there's clarity in some dimensions, there's more clarity than in others. So let's talk about what can we expect. Um, most of, for most of my comments, I'll be talking in the relative near term, that's within 12 months or so. So what can we expect? Well, there, we can get to the question of what we can expect in part by looking at what we are for sure not going to see, and we're not going to see this kind of stuff. These are recent headlines taken from publications, um, the buzz, the hyperbole, the exaggerations are beginning to return to the medical tourism rhetoric online and in public conferences. Uh, we're going to have a compound annual growth rate of 30% in medical tourism or 21% as this other uh, headline states. This is just not uh, realistic and it's not what we should plan to see nor what we can legitimately and correctly um, expect. One of the reasons for that is that the globe, the entire planet has been wrenched by the pandemic and the wrenching doesn't appear to be over. We can see here in data from uh, the recovery reports on gross domestic product in this, these countries, we can see that there's significant variation in the recovery in these economies to the shocks, the dual shocks that the pandemic has produced. So the environment, the very context of asking the penetrating question that Laszlo raised, what are consumers paying for, is the context of that is what's occurring in their country. So the source location, the destination location are being profoundly affected by the political and economic events in that marketplace area. The other event or the other component um, has to do with some of the provision of services uh, factors like labor, uh, which I'll talk on talk about briefly. So one of the opportunities in global public health was the extraordinary, uh, just exceptional rate at which vaccines were developed. And so we had at our within our grasp, the ability to completely squelch this disease, this pandemic through vaccination uh, distribution and uptake. However, there's been uneven releases in the travel restrictions related to acceptance or failure to accept vaccines, the failure to have a uniform system uh, in much of the world around vaccine recognition. Um, we will be traveling the next few weeks and we are unsure of what to bring with us. So we're just bringing everything, including our vaccination cards, uh, negative PCR tests, and hopefully somewhere in that ream of paperwork, the authorities at the borders will accept what we offer. The other factor has been the public health responses by the governments, which have varied widely. And these are factors that restrict, restrain, or create confusion. And these are factors that impact travel and tourism, and therefore health tourism. So 
what does recovery look like? Is it return to normal, a new normal, or something else? Uh, we believe it's going to be halting over the next 12 months. There will be open, there will be openings, and then restraint. So it's going to be on again, off again, in many ways, in many places. Um, and one of the factors that enter into this is the very nature of the markets for health tourism and medical tourism in particular. These markets, as we've presented about before, are not one block, it's not one thing. It's a highly fragmented set of verticals that range from very low impact or very um, easy provision of service, uh, certain cosmetic procedures and even the wellness the wellness treatments that Laszlo, to which Laszlo was referring, all the way up to uh, heart surgery, cancer treatments, very complex. So we can see that the motivations and the obstacles associated with those uh, very different markets uh, impact the recovery and the rate of recovery and how these markets will indeed recover. So there's a real difference between high frequency, low acuity services, simple procedures that are done frequently and low frequency, high acuity procedures. Um, they're very, very different uh, markets and very different dynamics occurring in the markets. Uh, the range of services in, in medical tourism uh, range from simple low impact diagnostics and checkups all the way up to uh, organ transplants. Uh, this is a simple array attempting to display the range of complexity um, and certainly not intended to be comprehensive, but this bucket of potential services serves to show that there's no one market. It's not one product line that we're talking about when we're talking about health tourism or medical tourism. Um, one of the dimensions that we're certainly encountering in the health and wellness and medical tourism markets is the pent-up demand created by the lockdown. Uh, psychologically and behaviorally, uh, we're encountering populations that have never before been locked down, shut down the way the economies were. People feel constrained. There's extraordinary psychological and social stress that is building up as the result of this. And these human factors, these very human and cultural factors will find their expression in some very odd ways. Uh, I'm certain that some of you have read about the bad behavior of people on airlines. Uh, some people have read about uh, difficult, challenging situations at borders. Uh, and these are the kinds of social circumstances uh, that frankly, no one could have anticipated because very few people anticipated the pandemic and how the pandemic would play out with this very uneven, inconsistent pattern of uh, travel restrictions and uh, travel restriction releases between and across borders. But there is pent up demand. Of course, the issue with pent up demand is that pent up demand is not sustainable. Uh, Pent-up demand should not be seen as a return to normal. It is just that. It's a temporary surge in the need for services, psychological or physiological, as a result of a lockdown. And to Laszlo's point about the labeling and branding of the services being provided, and the 
experience of the consumers who are consuming, whether they are wellness consumers, travelers, or whether they are very ill consumers traveling to receive life-saving treatments, there is a bridge or a chasm to be crossed in the health tourism journey. And this chasm, this journey, just got more complex with the uh, situations presented by the pandemic. And it's up to us, it's up to us as destination management organizations, as health and medical services providers, as wellness providers, it's up to us to understand those shifts and to accommodate the consumer's demands, needs, expectations. So the question goes back exactly what Laszlo suggested. What is it that people are paying for? So going forward, uh, what are our, uh, what's our coaching to medical tourism, medical services providers who historically have attracted consumers from across national borders or who are now faced with the situation where um, they no longer have those consumers uh, or have the volume of those consumers that they once had, what are their options? So there are certainly new markets that can be looked at. That is to say, who is looking for services and why? So there's new service lines. The what are people looking for? And there are new source marketplaces where people can be attracted from. And across all of those three strategic options, there are the dimensions of the channels through which those consumers will be connected to you as the provider or you as the destination. I know we have good representation from both types of organizations in the webinar. And these channels are fundamentally the same type of channel or predominantly the same type of channel over which we're presenting this program today. They are the new video conferencing services. They are remote. They are services at a distance. Uh, one of the limitations to the medical tourism markets historically has been a reliance on a legacy model of the strategy for medical tourism, which was to attract consumers from other destinations to my destination, because we have, we have services that you don't have where you live. Uh, we uh, have a tradition of providing these services at a higher level. Uh, we have those services that simply aren't available where you are, or uh, our services are less expensive than they are where you are. So come on over and receive your hair transplant or your Brazilian butt lift or your other procedure here where it's less expensive. Well, those options may or may not still be available and consumers, the, one of the barriers may be fear or confusion that consumers have about their very ability to get to you. And so we need to deal with that principally through communications and the communications channels include these video conferences. Uh, telehealth, telemedicine, remote care through various biometric sensors and sensing technology will indeed, uh, has been kicked into uh, hyperdrive through the pandemic. It's been extraordinary to watch the growth of these technologies overlapping in medical services, and we'll see an acceleration of that uh, into the future. These things are certainly not going to go away. The barrier, as I've said, is a tactical barrier. We, as destinations or as providers, need to find a way to address consumers' fear and consumers' confusion. Now, unfortunately, in the peer-reviewed literature, there is extraordinarily 
limited amounts of research that's been done about consumer fear and what how consumers behave in the context of fear. Well, there's never been anything like this before, so I guess in a sense that's not surprising. But there, are, there is good information about how to deal with consumers' confusion. Much of that research is about having too many choices, so winnowing down choices and making things clear. And I would refer you to some of that scientific behavioral research as a way to determine in your promotions for your destination or your services, how to clarify for consumers, reduce the confusion, increase the focus, and package or neaten up what's on offer. And of course, in the past in healthcare, um, we've been do I've been doing healthcare marketing for decades, and we used to never talk about fear. Fear was the third rail of medical services marketing. Well, now we talk about safety. We do talk about safety. We talk about showing safety. We talk about symbols of safety, and these become important. Whether they're overt statements about standards and our cleanliness, or whether they're covert uh, representations of our safety through images and other copy. So the who, um, we can be assured that in the medical services market, the consumers will be more sophisticated. Consumers are now having an opportunity to think about, learn about medical services to a far greater degree. Consumers are getting smarter. They're getting smarter by the, by the week, by the month, as the pandemic wears on. These consumers will be more sophisticated and therefore less price sensitive. That's a challenge and an opportunity in and of itself. New service lines, technology, emerging technologies, cell and gene therapies, so-called personalized medicine is an example, and much of this can be accomplished remotely. And second surgical opinions is another example. There are new source marketplaces where we secure uh, consumers from, uh, also impacts the level of capital investment, knowledge transfer and available labor. So these are issues that are resonating throughout the uh, regional medical services markets for international. And who's gonna come back first? What about the recovery? So the segments that are coming back that have already come back is the vanity. Our, our cosmetic clinic clients are already seeing, have seen for the past few months, a boom in services. There seems to be a certain level of exigency around how people look on Zoom. So there is a surge in cosmetic dentistry, a, concern, a surge in uh, face uh, appearance, enhancing procedures. Uh, and the other end of the market that is emerging very quickly is the pent up demand around high acuity, life threatening types of procedures, cancer treatments, um, elective heart and cardiovascular procedures. Those kinds of procedures are indeed in high demand in certain regional markets. And those consumers are very motivated to overcome whatever barriers or whatever confusion is in their way in order to secure the services that they want and need. So what's changed about consumer behavior? There's fear and confusion. This is still a media frenzy about COVID and now focusing on the irregularities, the lack of consistency between and among countries. Uh, what people see in the news has a tremendous impact on individuals' willingness to consider consuming or considering consuming services abroad. Who's not afraid? There are segments that are not risk tolerant, the elderly, the highly frail and vulnerable. Segments that are risk tolerant appear to be the younger, those, those folks who are seeking cosmetic and appearance enhancing or appearance altering procedures. So um, 
the who will be hesitant, uh, we can address these by showing our ability to clarify the options for consumers if they want to travel from source location number one to your destination, how do we sort that pathway out for them and make it clear? Same is true with the providers. How do you overcome, counterbalance those fears and concerns by offering, as I mentioned, by offering clarification, symbols, and overt expressions of security, addressing the fear of contagion, addressing the fears uh, related to uh, uncertainty about traveling and traveling to a destination where providers offer services uh, to those consumers. So the take-home messages, a few more take-home messages. Uh, the surge of pent-up demand is officially here and it is not stable. It can go as quickly as it comes. The uneven response between and among countries across borders is delaying recoveries. Some segments are more risk tolerant than others. Focus on those which are. That's especially important in order to create a bridge of sustainable business as you go from point A to point B, which is probably sometime late in 2022, early 2023. Uh, some segments are risk averse. We need to show safety as we've never shown it before and create visual and copy related textual proxies for safety. Uh, so with that, I would like to pause and suggest that we be available for questions. Thank you, Irving. And thank you, Laszlo, for your informative presentation. So now let's open the Q&A session. I've invited people to ask a question in their Q&A tab at the bottom of their on their players at the right hand side. Irving, do you have any questions there? Well, one of the questions I'm frequently asked is when. So the actual timing uh, is of interest and I I didn't include a timeline in this particular presentation. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is that I presented a timeline in a previous program that Laszlo and I created, and I was way off. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's bad business to be wrong at your prog prognostications, although I have to admit in all humility that uh, I'm not alone. There are a number of economists and um, cultural experts who were also very incorrect in their estimations of how things would shake out. The EU in 2016 did a study of the economic impact and recovery pattern associated with a pandemic that they actually you paid for that study. And uh, it's available on their website if they haven't taken it down. They were embarrassingly wrong. They predicted a V-shaped recovery and that things would return to normal uh, previous e levels of economic development within eight months. It's now been many, many more months than that. What's holding us back is, of course, the irregularity in vaccine distribution, travel restrictions, and the public health responses to the pandemic. Uh, it seems as though every time we make progress, um, there's a rebound uh, surge in infections among some group. We're having that now in the United States in um, children. There's now a surge in childhood COVID cases. So it's hard to say how long. Certainly, we would expect vaccine rollout to have an impact on the comfort level that people have about traveling by the third quarter of 2022. So there I'm on record. Um, if I may add one point is that um, it doesn't necessarily even matter when 
because it will happen, we know that, just because of what Irving said, it, it's so unpredictable. It's more like what we do about uh, of our existing or maybe planned propositions. So by the time, whenever that is happening, that everything is getting back some sort of normality, I'll be ready. Uh, so it's not that, oh, well, I need to be ready in two months or six months. Yes, probably. But it's more like, do you have all those plans ready? Do you have the homework done? Did you review your existing services? Did you revisit your plans? What had been probably prepared two years ago, three years ago by one of the standard um, uh, you know, advisor approaches? Are you open? to these anticipated changes, or everybody's hoping to get back to where we were in 2018, somehow forgetting what happened in the meantime, and the same products and services would be offered again, and then hoping that everybody's consuming the very same things in, in, in a year time. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm, um, uh, I'm a little bit kind of concerned that when I look at all these forecasts and plans and uh, new openings and uh, brand developments it's yes we have certification then we have this and that uh, um, uh, compliance for uh, government regulations yes that that's legally bound but where is the brand development where is the destination development where is the added value where is the response where is the addressing this new opportunity just because people are more open to hear about well-being health wellness whatever options they may not buy it but they happen to sort of know more of it um just just what whatever that is doesn't even matter we can see new segments coming up so i'm i you know that that's what i think should be really talked about and should be discussed that how i am as a brand how i am as a destination how i am as a clinic or a hospital i am doing the vanification of my services how I am looking into options, not for medical tourism, but as a service provider, as a, as a hospitality provider of incorporating all these options, even look into the options and then decide. I'm always amazed that now you can find um, whichever uh, forecast and studies that the wellness real estate is going to be this and this many billions of dollars and blah, blah, blah. But, sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. I thought that hospitality per se should be dealing with my well-being. I mean, that's their job. That's the bottom line. Hospitality is uh, about taking care of their guests, which de facto is directly linked to well-being. But, you know, I'm just old-fashioned and I'm looking into mm -hmm. some, uh, some, some structures and some, um, let's say, uh, uh, existing uh, models. And I believe soon soon as in really soon uh all these properties and ho hotels and whatever properties would need to provide all those uh, well-being improving amenities and services as an entry-level expectation not an added value not something that will improve your uh rate it's more like guys this is what i expect i'm not paying yes. more for this yes. you know 10 years ago you could charge for wi-fi would you pay for Wi-Fi now? You would say, hang on, well, which planet are you living on? This is right. what everybody does. So right. all the forecasts that you can expect a 20% increase on your room rates and on your performance just because you're more attentive to the guest well-being, I think is a totally misleading communication, such as the one you, Irving, you use that medical tourism is going to grow by 30% in the next couple of years, which we have been seeing this data for the last 15 years, every year that the next five yeah. years is going to be 30%, none of which was justified, obviously. So, right. you know, these kind of discussions we should really be having with brands and operators and developers yes. and decisions that are we ready. Yes, and I would add to that, that underlying your observations, Laszlo, are the demographic facts that the generation that's coming up is much more focused on authenticity. Mm. And what you're talking about in terms of brand, I would suggest 
one of the underlying, one of the fabric elements of that is authenticity. So you can't just slap a wellness label on top of your hotel without having authentic substance and redesigning the experience. You can't slap a label, we now do medical tourism on a destination and expect that anyone is going to think that's authentic. You may secure a visitor or two who are desperate, but that's not a sustainable business model. And ultimately, and there are some case studies about this, ultimately that's damaging. Ultimately that's damaging to the long-term status of a brand to be discovered or exposed as inauthentic. And the what would you say the CBD infused camel milk to Israel? Would it be authentic? I think it's a trick. I think it's a clever, <laughs> I think it's a clever uh, convergence of the interest in CBD, which is definitely growing. Uh, who doesn't love camels? I mean, they're so cute. Uh, camel milk is kind of tasty. I've had the opportunity to savor it in a few places in the world. Um, and yoga. Okay, I can put yoga and CBD and oh, and massage. I can put all of those together and inside my head that creates enough dissonance and enough to make me perhaps want to inquire. Whether or not I would do that in that destination, I don't know. So what are you what are your thoughts? I gave you my honest immediate reaction. No, it's certainly it's um, um, uh, it, it's stopping you for a second. But excuse me, what was that? What, what exactly is it you're proposing? Um, but obviously, that you know, it's an eye-catching title in a menu, or is it easily uh, programmable, easily promotable? Uh, how about the conversion rate? That's a different story. Uh, how many how many of those actually you can sell? People may try it just for the experience of it. Uh, but what exactly am I selling? I'm selling a very good sounding something or something which says, I'm using CBD for the following reasons, I'm using camel milk for the following reasons, and there's the difference compared to use it, uh, if I use this and this with CBD, it wouldn't have the same impact. So I would need to see the reasons and the, uh, the benefits as well, not just the title, because the title is certainly eye-catching. But you know, they might say that's easy in the, let's say, in the wellness part. But um, uh, you know, that, that's the opportunity here for the uh, more standard medical pro uh, medical uh, proposition as well. That rehabilitation, prevention, how you incorporating in a larger landscape, not just treatment in, patient out sort of uh, approach. But you think that the treat the rehabilitation is provided either on site or off site. How is that relevant to your brand, to your clinic, to your specialist, to your um, uh, you know, doctors and whoever that is, yeah. the healthcare, uh, healthcare personnel or yes. the consultant, whoever that is. So going beyond that, and when we do, um, when we do some uh, um, medical tourism bingo with uh, healthcare professionals, uh, which, which sounds like you know stupid, you don't play bingo with, with healthcare. But I do play bingo with um, uh, CMOs and COOs and see whoever it is in hospitals. And you ask all these questions and it's very rare that they actually can say bingo because they recognize it's a little bit more complicated than they thought. It makes a bit of gaming brought into strategic management. But yes. this, is, this is how you, uh, you have the aha moment, not just the camel that's saying, this is the camel that gave the milk, so meet her. <laughs> There you go. Uh, you can have the direct impact. So you have the immersive experience of the camel. But in the, in the medical services, uh, you say, oh, hang on. You, you really understand the complexity of the treatment and the pre and post. And your compelling proposition is way better than just selling a treatment. You know, that's the same yes. as service business, transformation business. Yes. So we see this in the successful providers who manage to 
develop long-term relationships with not only their prospects, but their consumers. So for example, it's um, one thing to do a hair transplant. It's quite another thing to develop a relationship with a woman or a man around their hair transplant and around their grooming. So how do they see themselves? How do they present themselves? How do they groom post-transplant? That's an opportunity for providers to differentiate themselves. Similarly with other uh, procedures as, as well. I see we have a question. Um, it yes. looks like somebody's just asked. Yes, go ahead, Romley. So we have a we have a couple of questions to to end with. The first one is, in your opinion, for the discerning medical traveler, what does a good safety message look like? Oh, what a good question. Yeah. I think a good safety message has images that show the end state securely. So uh, good safety messages are visual. I'm a, some people are visual learners. I happen to be a visual learner. I want to see a masked a doctor and a masked nurse interacting comfortably in the clinic setting with a consumer that looks like me. I think that shows comfort and safety. And you also want to carry over certain seals, certain cleanliness standards, and you want to have that text there. You may or may not want to put that in the headline, but it absolutely needs to be there to provide that. Thank you, I think. Laszlo, any comments on that? Um, I, I just one more thing. Um, visually, yes, but also you need to see the presence. So you need to be reassured that um, there are people who are actually doing some cleaning activities on site when you're around. So you're reassured, oh yes, I can see. It's not just talking about it, actually it's happening. Not just a tick on the toilet door that it's the 20, uh, you know, 12, 20 cleanup was done by God knows who it's, it's 21, I can't see nothing. Uh, uh, but uh, you cannot see a person here. But you would see personal doing some stuff. It's really reassuring that, yes, they do clean the chairs or the, uh, or the seats, they do clean the tables. It's not just talking about it. Yes. Um, promising some and certification it means very little to most of the people because they have no idea about the standards you yes. see that that's some some sort of sprays being used to to clean that the tables so that looks very assuring oh good fantastic so you you need to be promising as well as delivering thank you and yes we have one final question which is what do the panels think of Malaysian healthcare medical tourism Malaysia. What can be further improved from Malaysia destination? Um, how much time do we have? I mean, <laughs> About three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful question. Irving, you, yeah. you, you keep going. Well, the, first of all, uh, Malaysia has organized their health tourism provision, medical tourism provision, in a distinctive uh, way that, frankly, I admire. Uh, second of all, Malaysia Health Medical Tourism was dependent on uh, an important majority source market, which was rocked simultaneous with Malaysia. And then as things quieted down in the source market, Malaysia got rocked. And then as things quieted down in Malaysia, the the source market got rocked again. So the infrastructure is certainly there. They're among the most sophisticated providers in the world. And uh, uh, I'm a great fan. I've been there. I admire them. Uh, that's an excellent example of looking strategically to alternative source markets and attempting to vary and extend your service lines. I, in a minute and a half, that's all I, that's all I can offer. I, I, I'm an, an admirer of the destination, of the provision, the way it's organized. Very sophisticated, high quality, but very focused on the patient journey. Uh, and so, 
you know, the touchstones along the patient journey. That's all. That's all good. I hope I've. Laszlo. I just add uh, something very quickly. The I think both Malaysia is one of the very few countries I can count on one on one hand how many countries I would talk to saying that uh, how we're moving into the transformation business because they understand what they're doing they're doing it beautifully there is the experience there is the infrastructure there are the human resources there's a government support there is the organizational background everything is there so you are ready to to get to the next step uh, with some pilots with some uh, pilot providers not depending on the Indonesian market necessarily because of the various limitations, uh, how you incorporate remote and uh, becoming uh, an information hub in certain indications and not actually patients coming to you, but medical service providers, say in the US, acquiring about certain results of your treatments. And this is what you are uh, selling into other markets. So I think Malaysia is really, honestly, one of the I don't want to mention others because that wouldn't be a long list anyway. That would be ready to say that all right, we've done our homework and now we're ready to step up. But you may have less numbers, patient numbers, but the value added would certainly be higher. So that's what I would separate the the, the, the patient numbers uh, from uh, the creating the uh, next level of Malaysia value added. That's what I would do. Thank you both. Well said. That's all we have time for to today. And there are a couple of questions that we didn't get around to answering, which we'll follow up with afterwards. So I want to thank you all for attending and thank you, Laszlo and Irving, for your informative presentations today. Thank you. Thank um, you, Laszlo. Thank you, Romilly. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. We will follow up with you afterwards. We'll be sending out a brief survey for you to let us know how we did. It's the only way that we can improve our webinars for you. And I wish you all a good afternoon and a good evening. And uh, thank you all for attending today. Thank you all. Thank you.